Uh, if you're visiting for the first time today, we're glad uh, that you're here. Let me tell you what we've been doing uh, since I've been gone. <laughs> uh, pretty much for the whole uh, fall, we've been looking at the book of John. And uh, so what we're doing uh, over the next several years is taking just bits and pieces of John. Uh, so we, we looked at John 1 through 5 last year. We're looking at 6 through 8 uh, this year. And so we're almost through with the section of John, um, but uh, today we come to chapter, chapter 8. Now, when we come to our text uh, this morning, you just need to know that Jesus is going to say some uh, pretty shocking things. He's going to be straightforward. He's going to be very blunt uh, in some of his statements. And and so it's very important uh, to me, and it's just who I am. I'm sorry, but I think it's proper to understand a text in its context so we can understand why he's being so blunt. And so what we've been looking at uh, in the book of John is the, uh, the, the revelation of Christ, who he is and what he's done. That he is actually truly the living God who sits at the right hand of the Father. And therefore, that would be important for you to know. And so he's been revealing himself, proving the prologue of John 1, 1 through 18, this very powerful statement about who Jesus Christ is. Um. And so Jesus, for the rest of the book of John, is testifying to himself through what he says and through the miracles that he did in space and time. And so we come to John chapter 8, and we spend a great deal of time at this important feast called the Feast of Tabernacles. And before we read our text, I want to tell you just a little bit about it because The Christian faith is the true faith, and so it's not an ethic. It's not an idea. It's not some Gnostic something up there that you're supposed to believe. It is taking place in space and time, just like you live in space and time. And so all these tabernacles, I mean, all these festivals, everything in the Old Testament was a shadow pointing to the reality of who Christ is. And when Christ comes on the scene, he says, I am all these things. That's what he's doing at at this Feast of the Tabernacles. There were the three major feasts, and uh, as I remember Todd saying it a couple of weeks ago, he's right, uh, that th- this is the feast that they look forward to the most. It was uh, in October, and by the way, this event takes place about uh, four or five months before Christ is going to be crucified at the Passover, so it's his last uh, feast of the tabernacles. And, and so to appreciate what Jesus is going to say about himself and why he's going to be blunt, it's good to understand what's going on in the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, first, uh, it, was, it was something all the families did. It, it, they loved going to the Feast of Tabernacles. The reason they did was they set up these little booths, these tents. It's like going on a big camping trip in Jerusalem with all of God's people to assemble together and the point of being together was to rejoice that God provided for them in the wilderness and they're strangers in the land but God is providing. That's the first thing. And then the second thing that happened during this feast is pretty cool was the priests would come down to the pool of Siloam and they would gather water together and they would take it back to the temple where Jesus is going to be teaching. And they would pour that water uh, onto the altar. And so as they did that, there would be this great choir and this uh, great song that the people would sing together that says this, We will draw water from the wells of salvation. 
And we'll not only sing of our salvation because God saved Israel, not the other nations, but he satisfies us. And then the last thing that they would do is in the evenings, in the court of the women where Jesus was teaching, uh, they would light these great th- four great big lampstands. They'd just fire it up. And then everybody would light their fires. Uh, and throughout all of Jerusalem, in the middle of that darkness, there would be this great light. And you know what they would do in the court uh, of the women? The men and the women would dance together in the context of the light in the midst of darkness. Now, these three pictures um, are pictures of Jesus. And so it's important as we come to our text when he starts saying these blunt things to see the three pictures. One is that the first is that Jesus came to Jerusalem. He's come into this world and he tabernacles among his people, doesn't he? If you know Jesus, he lives with you, doesn't he? He tabernacles. He came into the world. He's saying, I, I, am, I am here. I'm the one that provides salvation. I'm the one that satisfies your soul. Not all the stuff, not going to church on Sunday, but me. And then the second thing is that Jesus... Um, the, the second thing of the water, the water being poured out, Jesus is saying, and he's already said, I am the living water. Do you believe that? Is he your living water? Or can you just go weeks and weeks and months and months and never spend any time with the one who's the living water? You know, if you go for like a couple of weeks, you'd probably die thirst, wouldn't you? Physically. It's important to ask yourself that question. Because he's asking us that question through this, through this text. And then the last thing is that think of all these t- candles that are blazing in the darkness. They didn't have electricity back then. But all of Jerusalem is lit up, and they are dancing together in the midst of the darkness. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. All these things point to me. Now, as we read our text, we're going to ask you, do you believe that? Not do you believe about Jesus, but is he your light in your life? Because if not, when we come to our text, this is when he says the startling things to these people. Beginning verse 21, this is still at the feast. So he said to them again, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. And where I'm going, you cannot come. And so the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from below, and I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And so they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare the world to the world that what I have heard from him. And they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. 
Verse 28. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I am He, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believe. Let's, let's pray. Father, before we come to the Lord's table, we want to hear from your word, the living word. And Father, I do not have the ability, apart from your spirit, to say anything that would bring life, nor do they have the ability to see if they're blind or hear if they're deaf. And so, Lord, we are all in need of your grace. Oh, Lord, what joy, what joy to enter into the light of the gospel, your kingdom, and to know you and to know your forgiveness every day. But, Lord, there are probably those who are living in darkness uh, this morning. Uh, Lord, and uh, we pray that you would cause them to understand this text. For, Lord, according to what you say in our text, that we cannot come if we seek you for who we think you are, rather than coming empty-handed and seeking you as those who desperately need a Savior. And one to God our lives. And so we pray that you'd make your word clear to us uh, this morning. And we ask it in Christ's name. And for his sake. Amen. It's amazing watching TV today, isn't it? I mean, high definition. Uh, It's an awesome thing. Now, technology has has gotten uh, TV screens to the point where you almost feel like you're there, don't you? I mean, if you like golf, when you watch it in the 60s or 70s, you'd see a guy swing and you wouldn't see the ball. And then eventually they'd all be up on the green and they would putt. But now you can see see it so clearly, right? You can watch that ball. Matter of fact, you can look in the grass. If you go to the Masters Tournament. And you can see the blades on the grass along with the ball and the logo on the ball. It makes you feel like as though you're there. So why go to the game? Like University of Georgia. I mean, it used to be, well, if you looked at it in black and white, you could vaguely see it. I remember when my brothers played football at Georgia, we'd go over to my uncle's house in the late 60s to watch it on color television because we had black and white. But even then, it was blurry. It wasn't that great. But, man, why? So you'd go to the game so you could see it more clearly. But now, why go to the game? Or if you don't like football, you don't like athletics, think about it in terms of, um, think about it in terms of going and seeing a Macy's parade. Or, or you can look on Netflix or whatever TV show you watch it. You can actually see the blemishes uh, that are on their faces. Now, here's the point. The clearer the vision, the clearer the picture, the more high definition you have, the more you feel like you are actually there. I'm going to tell you, this is exactly what is illustrated in our text. Jesus has stated that he is the light of the world. And this statement comes on him revealing who he has been for almost three years. 
I'm the light. And I have a perspective on things. And when you see my perspective on things, it'll be as almost as if you're there. But here's the reality. Is that the majority of the people apparently were, were unable to see the light. To understand the truth. To partake of the living waters. And because our text says this, they did not see, they could not enter the kingdom of God. For Jesus says, where I am going, you cannot come. But it says they're seeking him. Throughout his ministry, there's all kinds of people that are are curious about who he is. And they, they want to know who he is. But the real reason that we cannot see is not because of intellectual things. They saw the miracles. <laughs> In fact, later, they're, they're gonna, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And do you know not only do they want to kill Jesus, do you know they want to kill Lazarus? Does that make any sense to you? No, because man's issues, and your issues today, if you don't know Christ, and you've not really surrendered your life to the one who's the light and life, is because of sin. There is this darkness that's there that makes us not be able to even be rational about who Christ is. Remember in the prologue where John is saying Jesus uh, was with the Father from the beginning, uh, that he was with God, was with God and, and he was God, and the flesh became, and the word became flesh and dwelt among men. Do, do, do you know that in, within that context, it says this, that true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Now, guys... Here's the bottom line. It is grace. It is God opening our eyes to see Jesus that breaks the grip of our blindness. That allows us to move from fuzzy Christianity to begin to see everything in high definition as though we were already there. We're going to look at this later, but Jesus says why this is the case in verse 23 and 24. Notice what he says, if you would look there. Why can't they say? You are from below, and I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, is that pretty clear? Ladies and gentlemen, is that clear to you today? Now, either what he is saying is true or it's not true. And being from below, okay? Now, what that means is this. If you have not been united to Christ and you see the whole world and all of reality from that perspective, then you see everything at the horizontal level. And so rather than seeing things in high definition, what you're seeing is the Christian life in 1950s TV technology, black and white, 
and it's fuzzy. But I'm telling you, if you know Christ, if you've been united to him and you're seated with him, then you know what? what the other day, yesterday when I was watching the game and my wife asked me something, I put it on mute. You know why? Because I could see the game. <laughs> I didn't even need the sound. Now, when I grew up, you needed the sound because you couldn't see anything on TV. Are you seeing the gospel in high definition? Paul puts it this way in Colossians chapter 1. And I've turned there. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. And he says this. If you're a believer. For you have died. And your life is now hidden. With Christ in God. And when Christ is your life. Who is your life appears. Then you will also appear with him in glory. So it's this strange thing. Where when you. Meet Christ. And you're united to him. Everything becomes clear. Because you're seated with him. And the more you grow in your faith, the more you seek those things that are above, the more clear everything begins to be. Ephesians says, he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, do you believe that? That that when you get converted by the Holy Spirit and he opens your eyes to where you're no longer fuzzy about what it means to be a Christian, but it means to rest in the work of Christ and all that he has accomplished, then all of a sudden you begin to see the whole world through his redemption and through his resurrection. Now, I've got three points to make here, but I want to ask you this question before we uh, come to these points because it's important to understand uh, these questions. Um, Do you live your life in high definition? Spiritual high. I hate to use the word spiritual high definition, but... Or is everything still fuzzy? You know, why am I here? What's the point of life? Is Jesus Christ really the Son of God? Am I, should I do this? Should I not do that? What's up? Why is there so much suffering? Why are people hurting? I just don't know if I believe these things. Or yes, I believe in you, Jesus, but not enough to surrender my life to you every day. You understand that's the question here. Or have you entered the kingdom? And that you're growing in an awareness through your daily time in the Word of God that you see this world more and more clearly from the perspective of Christ's resurrection so that you have hope and peace. And I'll be at obedience. Right? Yeah, if you talk about obedience in the church today, it's people like, oh, that's legalism. No, it's not. It's the reality that you're walking in the light as he is in the light. So what does our text teach us? In a few moments that we have before we come to communion. Well, first thing, it teaches us why we do not see so well. It it tells you that. Like if you're fuzzy, and again, I'm going to tell you, here's how you know you're fuzzy. If Christ is not your all. You're still fuzzy. And then secondly, uh, how he teaches us how we can see clearly. And then finally, how this clarity impacts our lives. These all things, all fit, they always fit together. 
So the first thing to see is why we do not see so well. Look, look at what he says in verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sins. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where am I going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are the world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, let me tell you, this is a, this is a, be, a beginning of, of a, a, a movement in the book of John. We start moving from Jesus revealing who he is. I came from the Father. I'm revealing you to who, who the Father is. And I've been seeking to reveal him to you for the last three years. Uh, and, you know, you refuse to believe. You're constantly challenging me. That's what happens in the first part of John chapter 8. I mean, who, who do you think you are? And he says it again. And so Jesus is now moving where he says, you know what, now I've been here to reveal the Father, and he who has seen me has seen the Father. If you have seen Christ, you know who God is, because he and the Father are one, right? And Jesus came into the world because he wants you to know the Father that you've never had. But because of unbelief, uh, because we still have our hobbies and these things that we like and these things that we cherish and nurture over here, we're interested in Christ in bits and pieces. But now he says this. Now I'm going back to my Father. And I'm going to be with him forever. I'm only here with you temporarily. But I'm going back in about five months. And the way I'm going to go back to the Father is that, and he doesn't say it here, but you people are going to crucify me. And you're going to seek me, but you won't find me because you cannot come. Now, let me ask you something. Is that a pretty stark statement? <laughs> I mean, he says it twice. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, let me ask you this question. Would he say that to you today? Would he say to you, oh, yeah, absolutely. I know you know the Father through me. You love the Father you love the kingdom? Or would he say to you who still live in doubt and unbelief and always questioning and always challenging and always having reasons that you don't like God a whole lot, would he say to you this morning, you know, I hate to tell you this, but where I'm going, you're not going to come because you've not entered the kingdom of God. Now, how do we know that they really don't get it? Well, we see it in two ways. One is... <laughs> After he says, um, after he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. You notice what it says they, they said to him? Or they said to each other? I wonder if he's going to commit suicide. Now, your first thought is, what a stupid statement. What, what is, he didn't say anything about suicide. But let me tell you what they're doing. They're doing sarcasm. Because the sarcasm is this. Anybody that committed suicide was uh, considered by the Jews a curse because they have marred the image of God. And so basically, they're still judging him. I think Todd did a good job of this. Matt, I guess you've done it to a certain extent. I don't know as I was gone and preached, but uh, I know the time I heard Todd, he said, you know, here's the irony is they're sitting there thinking they're in judgment of God, but he's in judgment of them. They're standing in front. They're standing in the midst of their creator. 
Now, how about you this morning? Uh, is it always like, you know, uh, you're always putting Jesus on trial. You're always going, I don't know about you, God. I, I, you know, because this happened and that happened, and these terrible things happened to me. And I just don't know. Rather than going, I don't know why all these things happen in my life. But here's what I do know. I know that you are good. And you want to know another irony that's in this text? He didn't commit suicide, did he? But did he lay his life down? He voluntarily lays his life down. Now the question ends up being, why didn't they see this? Whether one is they're sarcastic. But the other reason you see in verse 23. You are from below and I am from below. You are this world and I am not of this world. In other words, the reason you can't understand what I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is because you see everything with, with the eyes of flesh. It's the pride of the human heart to go, well, we can figure this thing out. But no, you can't. Because you see, Jesus had to come from above to below to reveal who his father is. And I will tell you this. You can know him this morning. Can't you? If you come on his terms. And his terms aren't, uh, okay, let me give you 10 intellectual arguments. I used to do that all the time. I used to go downtown here and get in intellectual debates, sometimes because I, I like winning. But that's not a good thing, is it? I'm just confessing my sin. But, matter of fact, when somebody says, somebody's not a Christian, I say, really, why? And they say, well, because they're intellectual. I'll go, oh, well, they would be a Christian, in my view. Because the only thing that makes sense, the only thing that pulls everything together is that this world is broken and there's sin in this world. And the only thing that can rectify that is if God who is in Christ remains both just and the justifier of those. It's the only thing that makes sense to me. Nothing else makes any sense. But why is it we don't understand? Jesus says, because you don't live in high definition. You are from below. You are this world. Now, uh, if you're not a believer today, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not. Uh, honest to goodness, I, I want you to see. But I know the only way you're going to see is if you start admitting your sin. That, that you, you can't come before Almighty God in some kind of arrogant way to prove yourself to me. He's already proven himself in his love toward us on the work of the cross. And if that doesn't move you, if that doesn't motivate you in some kind of way, then probably there's still a little bit of prove it to me, God, and then I'll believe. We're this world. Now let me tell you what John says in 1 John about this world. And you need to think about this. If I can find it. I got it here. In 1 John he says, Love not the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world is passing away along with his desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So we don't see uh, so well, well because we see things at the horizontal. 
But our text teaches us how we can see clearly. Okay? So let's look at that real quick. You see it in verse 24. Notice what he says in verse 24. If you want to say, I'm not sure if I understand this. And, uh, man, I want to believe, but is God saying I can't believe? I have, you know, it's like, it's like I want to believe. But, but what's interesting, he says, they seek him, you will seek me, but you will not find me. Of course, the rest of the scripture he's saying, seek and you'll find. Again, you've got to understand this because they're coming on their terms, the Messiah that they want, the way they want Jesus to work in their lives rather than who Jesus is and what you need from Jesus Christ. Now, where do you see this? Notice what in verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, who will, am he, you will die in your sins. So they said, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning, and I have much to say to you about and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I've heard from him. And they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, and here's the key verse, When you have lifted up the Son, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak as the Father taught me. So here's what's going on. Jesus is being very blunt with them. Y'all would agree with that, right? Matter of fact, you might be thinking Jesus is being blunt with you this morning if you don't know Jesus. Or the pastor's being blunt with me. I'm just trying to tell you what the text says. I think it's what I'm trying to do. But notice how they respond to them. Him saying to them, you can't come where I'm coming. Do they repent and say, oh, no, I really want to know. I want to come. I, really w- I don't want to be left out in the cold. What do they say? Who do you think you are to tell us that? Now, you know, one of the reasons some of you are afraid, I mean, if you are a Christian, some of the reason you're afraid to really go out there and share your faith is because the message of the world is anybody that believes that is intolerant. Anybody that believes that, I don't want to be their friend because what they are saying about me, if what they're saying is true, is that I, as their friend, will perish in my sin. And I don't want to be around that person. And it's becoming more that way, isn't it? Like, forget whether you believe in Jesus or not. If you believe certain things that the world says uh, and our laws say, uh, you go, well, I don't agree with that. Then you're an intolerant, intolerable, deplorable person. So that's what they say. Who do you think you are telling us we can't come to the Father? Whoever you're talking about. Well, I I can tell you, I remember when I first came to Christ. I was, uh, I was 17, 18 years old. And man, I, I immediately started growing in the gospel. I did, not because I was a great guy. I read the book of Acts. I was like, whoa, that's what happened to Paul. That's what happened to me. God has mercy on Paul, and he wants to tell everybody about Christ. Of course, I turned a lot of people off. I'll admit that. A lot of family. Hey, this is the gospel. It's not what I learned at first press. <laughs> and uh, so, so anyhow, but... But I'm studying, I'm learning, I'm trying to go, am I going to give up wine, women, and drinking if this is not true? That, that's a good question, wouldn't you say? When you realize how stupid all of us are that say we believe in Christ, and you become a moral, and you become a good person if Jesus is not raised from the dead. But that shoe fits on the other foot, doesn't it? 
If Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and he's the Lord of glory and he foreordains whatsoever comes to pass, then you know what? How foolish you'll be. If all you're trying to do is straighten out your marriage. All you're doing is trying to straighten out uh, your bank account. You're trying to straighten out your health. You're trying to straighten out all this stuff. Rather than, you know, I, I need to, to submit to who Christ is. So, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in college. I'm studying liberal theology and, I'm, I'm, and all this stuff, you know. Uh, and then, fortunately, I'm reading Puritans. But I remember going to uh, my wife's. Uh, we grew up in the same town. Her church, uh, that I won't name since I'm on the air, but it wasn't a Presbyterian church. It was a mainline church. And so um, one of my friends, it was a good friend of mine, he said, hey, uh, the Sunday school class, ask us to come talk to them about what God is doing in our lives. So I thought, great. So we go to the Sunday school class. And I just basically shared the gospel, Right. And here's a bunch of adults in a Sunday school class for Christian church who became extremely angry <laughs> with me. Went, Whoa, I'm 18 years old. Y'all be nice. You know why they were angry with me? It's because here they are in a church saying, how can you say that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? I'm in a church, ladies and gentlemen. But the reality is, even if we uh, have churches today that are somewhat uh, um, well, I want to be fair here uh, because we have our issues at Redeemer. Trust me. But I do know this. If, if the, the faithful church is the church here in the city, and there are many of them, how about that, that are faithfully preaching is through Christ and through him alone. And guess what? Those churches are growing. You know that church that I spoke in that used to have four or 500 people uh, back in 1974? It's dead. It's gone. They shut the doors. Why? Because why in the world would you even come on a Sunday morning to hear anything if Christ is not risen from the dead? But on the other morning, why would you come every Sunday and not submit yourself to it, play on the edges of it, and then one day be condemned because you heard and heard, but you never submitted to it? You understand? It's life and death. It's what Christ is saying. And so the reason that they don't believe is because, because of a hardness of heart. Now, here's the, well, for, let me close on this. So that's why we don't see well. How do we see clearly? It's when Jesus says, I'm sorry, verse 28, when the Son of Man is lifted up. That's why we read the Old Testament lesson about the serpent being lifted up. All they had to do was look, and the poison would, would, would leave them. You remember the Old Testament lesson? And now Jesus Christ, he says, I came, and when I'm lifted up, then you'll understand. And guess what? You know what he's talking about? Until I die, and substitute for your sin. You will not receive the Holy Spirit. And five weeks later, Peter is preaching at Pentecost. And guess what? 3,000 people who rejected it. When the Holy Spirit comes, they say, what must we do to be saved? And 3,000 were saved. You know why they were saved? Because Jesus Christ, they saw, is the only mediator between God and man. Period. And they repented. So how does this clarity impact our lives? Notice what it says in verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Does it say everybody? Not everybody. I mean, people were probably ticked off at him. But many did believe. 
But you know, it's very interesting, and I was reading A.W. Pink on this, and he's not always uh, charitable, uh, but A.W. Pink pretty much says, yeah, all those people that did believe didn't believe eventually. So what is the difference between a person who gets it and it begins to respond in their marriage? I mean, listen, if your marriage, I, if your marriage is the same place it's been for years, you better smell a rat. Your marriage should grow if you and your wife are believers. Your relationship with the people you work with, who you teach with, you should be from year to year growing and you're responding. You know why? Because high definition is I need to watch my life before I go out there in the world. That's high definition. I need the union with Christ. So what's the difference? Well, I know I've given this illustration before, but I do want to close on this because it's very important that you not be dating Jesus, that you're married to him. And so theologians for thousands of years say that there are three steps in you truly responding to who Jesus Christ is. And that first step is what they call in Latin the notitia. Let me get the information. I'm going to study about him. That's what they're doing. They're getting information about him. They're trying to figure out who he is. So think about it this way. When I first started going out with Mary Beth, there were other women that were out there, and I could pick out from whatever woman I wanted. But you know what? I started getting some information about her, and I like her. I thought she was cute. That helped. So I start pursuing her, right? So I'm getting the information. That's called the notitia. Uh, lots of people, maybe you have lots of information about Jesus. But you're not even in the dating stage. You're not even in the stage where you go, hey, the ascensus, I assent to this. I believe it. So what I do with Mary Beth? Hey, Mary Beth, I kind of like you, and I want to be engaged to you. And so I get her a ring. But guess what you don't do while you're, well, at least this, this is the way I think the Bible teaches it. You don't have, uh, uh, for the sake of children here, let's just say we don't have certain relations, do we? Before you get married. Because I'll tell you this, God never does that. And so you get the census and you're dating. And I'm like, hey, and uh, I love Mary Beth. You know, I dated Mary Beth four years. She went to Stetson, thankfully, two years. Last two years, we're all together. But you know what? It's not until you're married, and that's called the fiducia. And I'm just going to tell all you young people this. A lot of these older people have already missed the boat on it, to, you know, and God's gracious and all that. But you know what? You don't, you don't have relations if you're not married. And I'm going to tell you why. Because God will never have a relationship with someone who's dating him. He only becomes intimate with those who submit their lives to him. And I'm going to tell you something. You want to know whether you know Jesus Christ or not? When you get married, if you've been faithful to that call, you know when you're married. And you give up all kind of freedoms, but you gain a freedom in this person because you become one with this person. That's what it means to know Jesus. I mean, you can go to all the counseling in the world. You can read all the books in the world. You can go to every church in the world. But the bottom line is until you come to Christ because the Holy Spirit this morning is nudging you to go, I, you know what, I want to be married to you more than anything. Then I don't think you know Christ. 
You say, but how do I, but how do I know? Yeah, you know, listen, I'm a Christian. I've had doubts before. I'm not saying you don't doubt. You understand that? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you're a perfect Christian. The Lord knows I'm not. I appreciate it, Eric, wherever you are. Wasn't it nice to see somebody actually tear up during the confession of sin? Was that nice to y'all, for y'all to go? Here's a man who teared up. And I'm not tooting your horn, Eric, because only the Holy Spirit can do that. Versus, yeah, I got that. Got it. Confession of sin. Have you entered the kingdom of God? Because Jesus says, unless you seek me on my terms, you will never see. But if you've seen him lifted up for you, he's lifted up for you. How can you keep going about the same, same, same? Versus going, I, you know what? I'm submitted to you. Have you come to faith in Christ? I would encourage you. Repent of your sin. Look to Christ and be saved. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. In your word, and now as we come to a communion, we pray, uh, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would continue to work in our hearts. And, uh, Lord, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you that anybody that wants to seek you on your terms will know you. Uh, Lord, just give us grace to, to look at ourselves and make sure that we're not seeking a Christ of our imagination but the one who saves and transforms. And we ask it in your name. Amen.